Hello, hello, my name is Michael, and I welcome you to What's Your Career, where careers are examined one at a time. Jordan Ellsworth joins me today. Jordan is an instructional designer at Dixie State University, which is a university staff position to update, improve, and redesign college courses. Jordan primarily takes face-to-face classes and transforms them into online courses. He absolutely loves what he does because he gets to learn about new subjects as he writes new courses. Originally an engineer, Jordan followed his heart, pursued a unique master's opportunity, and landed a job he is proud to have. Now, let's learn more about the journey of Jordan Ellsworth. Jordan Ellsworth, it is great to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem. It's good to talk to you again. So uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Who are you, Jordan? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in St. George, Utah. Um, Started at Dixie State and then transferred to BYU. I actually was a mechanical engineering undergrad. So I got my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. And then just in classes there and such, I decided to um, look into education in particular instruction and how people design instruction. I found that BYU had a program, so I got a master's degree in instructional design and started working in that. And I've tried to kind of merge those two fields that seem very opposite. And so that's kind of my background. I'm I'm married, have two kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I live in St. George, Utah, work at Dixie State University. All right, that was a nice little summary. What do you like to do in your free time, Jordan? Not that you have any, because Michael, you know, <laughs> you know that I love racquetball. <laughs> I know I don't have free time anyway, but when I do have free time, um, I love to play racquetball, and I, I played with you at BYU, and that was a blast. But, uh, I play yep. about once a week with with a group down here, and I just I, I love it. I enjoy racquetball quite a bit, but I also love music. I love uh, learning new technologies. So. I have a lot of hobbies, but not enough time to really do any of them well. So, <laughs> hey, I understand. Racquetball is <laughs> racquetball is great, and I miss I miss playing racquetball. Um, all right, cool. So, so you have a job. Uh, what's your job title at Dixie State University? So, so my job title is learning designer. Hmm, that's fun. That sounds real yeah. like. I don't know, almost theoretical, like futuristic, a learning right. designer, like you're, like you're creating AI, you know, robots yeah. or something. I know that's yeah. probably not it, but that's yeah, kind of, you could some, interpret it like that. Yeah, it is kind of, could be interpreted a lot of different ways. I guess it's kind of vague in that sense, but yeah, it basically just means um, I, I help faculty design online courses for Dixie State University. Awesome. All right, we'll, yeah. we'll jump into all of the details here in a few minutes. I got a couple of other quick questions for you. Okay. Um, how how would you rate your job function from one to ten? Like what you actually do on a day to day basis. One would be terrible, and ten would be a dream job. Okay. Yeah, my job function I would say is probably a seven. I'd give it a seven, probably. Okay. Like I enjoy it. But there are some things about what I do that, I mean, aren't my favorite thing to do. So, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a seven. I, I like what I do. Okay. That's good. I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily the dream job, but you're also not that old and don't have a lot of experience. So, I guess I yeah. wouldn't expect you to have the dream right. job. <laughs> right, so, right. Okay. All right. And then how happy are you at your job, you know, considering your surroundings and the environment and just what you do on a regular basis. Yeah, I would, I mean, I would give that a little bit higher. I, I think I, I would give that a nine in my case, cause I, I really do enjoy what I do and I love the people that I work with and it, I really enjoy being part of that university atmosphere. It's just a, it's a fun energy and atmosphere to work in. So I, I would say I'm a nine on that. I, I really, really enjoy my job and enjoy the people I work with and the organization. So, That's and I, I am a big believer in honestly in, in obviously some jobs you're going to you're going to be more passionate about than others but i honestly believe that your happiness can can be determined a lot by your your attitude honestly i know that's kind of cheesy but i i truly believe that 
Hey, you know, it's true. And I said this in the previous episode, and I'll say it again here, but sometimes you got to fake it until you make it. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that kind of speaks to attitude a little bit, right? You got to have a good attitude, even if it's hard and difficult and you don't necessarily know if you like it or not at the beginning, just try to like it, just fake it. And, and then, you know, eventually you might actually start believing yourself and <laughs> it works. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 maybe even you you do switch careers or you do switch jobs, but that doesn't mean you can't be happy where you were at. You know, maybe you do want to change things up. But anyway, I I truly believe that you can determine a lot of that just by the how you approach things. So yeah, I try I try to approach it with optimism and and find parts of my job that I enjoy and kind of expand those as much as I can. And so awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Um, and you, okay, so you mentioned earlier that you went to Dixie State for a little bit, and then you transferred to BYU. What did what did you ultimately get your bachelor's degree in? So I got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. Okay. Yeah. So I was a pre-engineering. They didn't even have a mechanical engineering degree at Dixie. They do now, but it's it's just starting. But um, I just had to do the prereqs at Dixie. And then I looked around at schools. Was really close to going to Utah State, and I would have enjoyed that too. But I ultimately decided to go to BYU, and it was great, good experience. Okay, and so then, you know, how did you decide to get a master's degree, and in what? That's the strange part of this whole thing. Yeah, it was a very unconventional approach. Well. I don't know. A lot of my classmates were like, what are you doing? <laughs> because it's not necessarily the, I guess, I don't know. It didn't seem like the smartest financial move because all my friends were probably going to be making more after their bachelor's than after my master's. But I just was passionate about it. And I, I decided that I wanted to improve technical uh, instruction and, and education and communication. So I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to look into this. And I found a program at Utah State. And I was like, ooh, instructional design. That sounds interesting. And then I looked further into it. I'm like, oh, BYU has a program. So I went and met with the with the chair over there of the program and started talking to him about it. And he was a former electrical engineer, I believe. And so we, we kind of had a, you know, we, we struck a chord there. We kind of had a similar background. And so it was cool to kind of meet them and start planning out how I would navigate all of that and anyway kind of an interesting path but i just decided yeah. that that's what i wanted to do that's what i was passionate about okay so so i know you've said it already but tell me again what was what was the degree name so uh, of the masters yeah of the masters yeah so the master is called a master of instructional psychology and technology and what but like in, what in, school in, does that fall under <laughs> what like it's the department? school so it's the school of education Okay. Okay. So it's within the yeah. educational space. Yeah. Okay. And did you feel like your mechanical engineering bachelor's really propelled you, like helped you a lot in your master's or was it pretty unrelated? Um, yes and no. Like the, the design strategies and the problem solving um, strategies that I learned in mechanical engineering were very applicable and useful in my master's degree. But at the same time, it was like, you know, different people, different types of people and backgrounds that I was working with and different goals, you know, and and uh, yeah, just very different fields for sure. But I definitely don't regret anything about how I've arrived here. So I, I definitely think it built on the things that I learned there, but it was definitely different. Okay, so I want to dig into this a little bit more because I find it very interesting and it's important to, you know, understand your career path. Um, you know, it's important for us to understand a little bit more about this degree, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. So how how did you know that you were passionate about teaching and learning techniques? Like, when did you come to that realization? It's a good question. <laughs> I think... Um... So I, I don't know, I was all over the place in college, but I, I also did like the seminary teaching um, pre-service, they call it. So I was, I taught for two semesters, I taught high school students religion classes. And I, I was thinking about doing that. Maybe that's what my dad did. So my dad's a seminary institute teacher. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll try this out and see if I enjoy it. And I did enjoy it, but um, 
I, I still felt like there, I wanted to do more and I, and I was enjoying my engineering stuff. And, um, I just didn't feel like that was quite right for me. So, I, but I, but I really liked teaching and, and how, how you, you help people to learn things and better ways to help people learn. And, and in my engineering classes, I was like, I just wish that we could do this this way instead. And I think we would learn it a lot faster. And so I was thinking all of, of all these ideas of improving teaching, but I loved my engineering classes. I loved learning how things work. I loved uh, making things work better um, and designing things. And, but I just felt like this, there was this overall uh, lack of communication and uh, effective teaching strategies. And I was like, I, I want to I improve this. I want to make it better. So it was kind of a combination of a lot of things. But I, I realized that I really was passionate about teaching and, and especially in the STEM fields. So. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So as part of your master's program... Did you have to write a thesis or do any sort of research, or was it only an academic-based master's program? No, yeah. So there, there were kind of two options in this particular master's. I could have done a project or a research-based, like based master's, you know, culminating uh, paper or study. And so I, I chose the project because I felt that was more aligned with what I wanted to do. And I ended up doing a an augmented reality educational exhibit in the library. So they had an old globe in there that, that was huge and the motor was broken so it didn't turn around anymore and nobody was really using it. And the engineering librarian was like, maybe we can use augmented reality to make this come to life again, you know. So we developed a little, a little educational kind of, you know, mu- museum type experience where um, people would put on the headset and then kind of interact with the globe and it would teach them about the Earth's magnetic field and give them a chance to shoot, you know, solar particles at the Earth's magnetic shield and learn about it that way. So it was, it was kind of fun and it was a cool way to apply my instructional design theory that I was learning in classes, but also bring my engineering expertise and background into it as well. So That is really neat because that, yeah, that definitely feels like a perfect match for you, you know, tinkering tinkering with something mechanical, but also then, you know, making it into like a museum exhibit sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. Awesome. All right. So when did you graduate? So I graduated with my bachelor's in 2018 and then my master's in 2020. So at the height of COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Graduating in the spring of 2020. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's tough. So how did you transition from your program, your master's program, into your first job? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I applied to a lot of different places, and it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a a small market, I guess you could say, of instructional design. The type of thing I wanted to do, they have instructional designers at a lot of companies and things, but I had a kind of a certain type of thing I wanted to do. But I applied to a lot of different places, and then Almost all of them fell through, but a couple and one of them I was kind of waiting to hear back from Dixie. And then I was looking at this other job and I had always kept tabs on Dixie. I had, I had kind of kept in contact, like reached out to the, I knew they had developed recently a, an online class uh, organization, kind of a, a, a department that developed online classes. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, I'm about to graduate and I reached out earlier in the year and they were like, no, nah, I don't, we don't really have anything open right now. And I was like, okay, well, let me know. And anyway, it got close to graduation time. And they had a, a thing open, a position open. So I applied and, and they got back to me and they made an offer. And I was like, oh, this is height of COVID. And I mean, it's not exactly the, my, my dream offer, but it's, it's, it's a good offer and it's a good place. And it's all I can hope for, you know, during these crazy times. And so I took it and I'm glad I did. Well, that's great. So that all happened pretty quick after graduating then. Sounds like the stars kind of aligned for you. Yeah, it was really nice. I didn't have to wait too long. Um, I was kind of antsy to get a job, but um, especially because we had <laughs> my wife was pregnant and our son was going to be born in like a month. So I was like, I got to get insurance. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they were really good, actually. Um, they Anyway, the insurance kicked in day one and I was like, oh, this is a huge blessing. So... It just, yeah, it was a, it all worked out just how, just better than I could have hoped. That is awesome. So, 
you mentioned there were some jobs that you maybe didn't align very well with what you actually wanted to do. If you don't mind, go into some detail about what you actually wanted to do. Uh, I think I think you mentioned that there were some companies looking for um, instructional you know, designers, but, but that's not really what you wanted to do. Is that right? Yeah. So there, it's, it's kind of an interesting field. It's small in that there's not a ton of people that are in the field, like that are like true instructional designers, you know, but the, it's, it's really varied what, what instructional designers do. So um, a lot of uh, companies hire instructional designers to do their trainings. So like, I don't know, HR trainings, like, you know the the typical ones you have to take at any job basically oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah or you know they have a lot of software trainings at some companies um, um and then there's more of the education side where you know you're developing online classes or or supporting teachers and developing their face-to-face classes and and um anyway so there's just there's just a broad range of what instructional designers do but i didn't really feel passionate about doing trainings for companies just because I felt that I felt like that was kind of a a box that I would be stuck in teaching the same things over and over, you know, like the same software or the same product or and so that's not something that I was interested in. Um the the idea of working at a university was appealing to me in that you have a lot of variety of subject matter that you work with and that was interesting to me because I love learning new things and so I was like, oh this would be cool to you know learn new things by by making instruction about different things, you know? And so, but I was nervous because my experience in academia taught me that it's so slow and overly analyzed, you know, people get stuck in analysis paralysis and nothing ever gets done. And so I was like, Oh, do I really want to do that? But anyway, I ended up choosing more of an academic route and, uh, and it's, it's been really good. And I, you know, there's still some cons and there's still some of that slowness that comes in academia where you have to analyze things and put it through approval processes and things. But I, I still really enjoy the academic freedom of trying new things and learning new things and not have such a, you know, a narrow silo of of subject matter that I'm working with on a daily basis. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I want to hear all about the details of like what you actually do what your tasks are but before we get into that i'd like to learn a little bit of maybe logistics about working at a university not as a professor but i, I guess are you are you a faculty member or how, how are you positioned yeah so they distinguish it by there are faculty members who teach classes and then there are staff members who are like support personnel or okay. people that help the university run and do its you know, do its events and do its, you know, fundraising and do its um, community outreach. And there's a lot of different staff that help the community or the university run smoothly. So, so you're a staff member. I'm a yes, staff member. Okay. And actually, this semester I'm also a faculty member because I'm teaching one course. But so I'm mainly a staff member, but I'm also an adjunct faculty. They would call me. Oh yeah. Hey, that's awesome. I want to get into the details of that too, but, but hold on, <laughs> hold on just a second. Um, so do you, like, do you work just a regular kind of eight to five type of job all year round yep. or do you have summers off or anything like that? Or how does yeah, that no, it's an eight to five year round. So the faculty usually take the summer off unless they're doing, you know, extra projects or whatever. But yeah, so we, but we work year round because the, the summer is the busiest time for us because we're getting all the courses ready, you know, all the online stuff ready yep. for fall. Yep. So yeah, we just, I'm, I'm an eight to five year round. Um, they have good, you know, holidays and things, which I appreciate. So I get lots of time off and it's pretty yeah. flexible when I take that time off. So that's nice. That's good. And I assume you, you know, you're a salaried employee and you have a, you know, a benefits package, just like any other, I guess, traditional job. Is that right? Yes. And in fact, so here's another one of the pros and cons of working for companies versus, you know, government or public um, entities. So I've, I've found that in public jobs, a lot of times the benefits are a lot better, but the pay is lower. Yep. And that's that's the case in my job, but I, I love the benefits and uh, the retirement's really good and the health benefits are really good. And um, anyway, I, my, my daughter goes to the preschool on campus and we get, you know, registration for that and everything. So it's, 
there are a lot of um you know you get, you get to go to the games for free and there's a lot of kind of stuff rolled into being an, an employee of the of the university so it it makes it makes up for a nice total package i think but. good good okay so let's jump into like day one or week one or month one of of working what was what's like your task when you showed up you know your boss said all right jordan we need to do this you know what 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 was you know is it projects i guess you probably organize your work kind of by course or by by i don't know i don't know tell me about it yeah yeah so you're, you're right to assume that um each course is kind of its own project so um what usually happens is the faculty member or the department chair over them will come to us and say hey we want to make this an online course and we'll say okay and in our case at our university we we pay the faculty to develop these online courses with us right because um it's kind of extra time they have to put in and and so we form an agreement with them and then i meet with them regularly and kind of talk about what they want the outcomes of the course to be what they're doing already in their face-to-face course and then kind of how can we adapt that to be online and how can we make new things happen in their online course that they weren't doing before in their face-to-face so that it's even more effective than it was before and so a lot of my work is is that meeting with faculty talking about what they want their outcomes of their course to be and how to achieve those outcomes in an online environment but there are also different kind of projects or um um, initiatives that I get pulled into, like uh, one of them is all faculty have to take an online teaching certification course, and so I'm helping develop some things for that right now. And then I I kind of uh, applied for a grant for some virtual reality uh, equipment to start developing virtual reality labs for courses, and so I've been doing that for part of my time as well. So there's all these kind of uh, I don't know what you call them, but these different projects that I'm working on, but most of my time is spent working on those courses with faculty, those online courses. Okay, this is this is real interesting, and I just kind of opened up my eyes to a whole new set of questions here. So Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I guess, what like department are you in? Are you specifically in like an engineering or STEM department, or are you just kind of university-wide uh, you know a resource yeah so we're, yeah, that's exactly right we're a university-wide resource so it, we used to be called the digital and extended learning because we we did like you know the online courses but we also did some like professional development and like community ed like professional certifications for the community stuff um but we're we're called dsu online now um so we're just like that's the name is is mainly online courses, but we're where we are still working in some of that professional development type stuff as well. So um we are like an, a, a university wide support organization or department, you could say. Okay. And I think a minute ago you mentioned somebody paying somebody for your services or that that feels weird to yeah. me because it's all within Dixie State, right? You're Yeah, so it's it's weird though, but with within the university the way funding flows is always an interesting thing. Interesting thing. It's there's there are honestly a lot of politics that go on in, in a university. I've found out, um, and so a lot of those politics are who's going to which department's going to pay for what, or where's the funding going to come from. And so I honestly still don't understand fully where all the funding comes for what we do, but I know some of it comes from uh, students pay extra fees for online courses at Dixie. Oh, so, so you're like you're like an internal consultant for your entire university then. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a, a good way of looking at it. So yeah. all these departments and teachers and, you know, specific programs that they're trying to develop come to you and say, "Hey, I need help starting up a course." Yep. You know, we'll pay you whatever your rate is or, or you know, uh, however long it takes. Yeah, the weird thing is we pay them though. That's, oh, that's, that's the interesting backwards. thing because our our faculty members are so they're so busy and they're they're honestly a lot of them are, are are kind of burnt out but they they have so much on their plates that the only way to get people to to develop these online courses is to pay them to do it and and it's not only that they're developing them for themselves they're developing templates 
that that future faculty and adjunct faculty can just kind of just come in and and maybe make a few tweaks and use as their own. So so we're, we're paying them to kind of develop this template and be the subject matter expert, which you do. You you pay your subject matter experts in my field. You you have somebody who knows the content really well, and you pay yep. them to to be the expert in the field and and kind of be the consultant in their own right in the thing that they're an expert in. And so that's how it works, at least at our school. Oh, but that feels so backwards. You're paying, I know, right? you're, Sometimes it does. <laughs> you're paying somebody so that you can do work for them, uh, right? Am, yeah, I, am I hearing yeah, that right? In a way, it is that way. But okay. because they already have so much on their plates, it's it's kind of a, a, an, an incentive to say, hey, we know that you're already teaching three classes and you have, you're trying to do stuff, research or whatever else, but... Um, so, you're the expert in this course and your department wants it to be an online course so that they can develop an online program. So we're going to pay you if you put in the extra time to help us develop it out. And by paying you, as you just said, you're not paying them personally, are you? This is just going into no, their like no. research funds and their, their department funds and whatnot, well, right? Well, so the faculty get paid. Um, and like I said, some of that money comes from the students paying an online fee. So it's like, you have to pay an online fee because it took extra work to get this course to be an online course rather than just the regular face-to-face -face course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're paying for the huh. convenience of not having to come to camp campus. Yeah. Um, and you, and to use the online resources that we've developed for this course type of a thing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't need to go down all of that who pays who sort of politics. Yeah, and honestly, I wouldn't have all the answers. It's still a little cloudy to me. I don't, I don't ask that deep anymore. <laughs> just, yeah. Not that anything sketchy is going on, but I just know that funding can come from a lot of different places, and it often does come from a lot of different places, and I, it's not all clear to me. Okay. Like okay. A, lot, a lot of times, like for example, this year, we got a lot of funding for COVID in particular, CARES funding, they called it. Um, that helped us. We we developed like a ton of courses this summer all at once, like 80 courses. And basically what we did is we flipped it and we made a course that taught faculty how to design a course and kind of gave them like 12 weeks um, to, to at least learn the process of how to develop or design an online course. And so it was kind of our only option because it had to be like all this year. And so that was kind of a different set up than what we normally do but it was kind of an interesting way of being the professor to the professors or the instructors to the instructors sure. you know yep. I mean? yeah okay so i i have kind of one last question on this tangent of ours here but this is, no, this is super interesting to me and i'm glad we're talking about this yeah. um so who approaches who about making online courses you know obviously yeah. you guys are going to be doing it but is it you guys reaching out saying, hey, I think your department needs some online courses. Can we do that for you? Or is it yeah, the other it's way around? Honestly, it's different. Um, it, sometimes it's the department saying, hey, we think we could reach more people with this course if it were online. You know, like maybe it's, a, it's an entrepreneurship class and they want people that, you know, maybe are working full time, but they want to, you know, start a new career. And so they have this entrepreneurship class in, at night online and they want to start developing that. So there's that way of doing things there's um also you know the the state the state says hey we want your school to develop more online programs and so then you know the the leadership of the university says hey which of the, our departments can start making online programs and then the departments say hey we could probably make a program of our of these courses you know and, and put it online and so then they go to their faculty and they say hey we'll pay you guys extra if you if you will help us develop these online courses so that we can make an online program. So that, that's kind of the way it's happened this year, particularly, but sometimes professors just um, have like a full face-to-face -face course and they're like, man, I don't, I can't teach, you know, 40 students in this course. So I think we need to open an online section, but I don't really have time to, you know, add another on-campus thing, but I could probably do another online section. So does that make sense? So, cause most of the courses we develop are asynchronous, meaning that they meet together at a specified yeah. time it's just kind of like on your own time right and so so it leaves it up a little more to the flexibility of the professors and the students so it honestly can come from anywhere sometimes we instigate it and we say hey 
we think this would be a great online course. What do you think? Are you willing to be the subject matter expert? And is your department willing to make this happen? So it can come, the initiative can come from a lot of people. Wow. Okay, that makes sense. But very interesting. Um, my w One more question. Um, how many of you are there at the university? Um, like how many like people? Like of my particular position? Yes. So right now, not many. In fact, we're... We're we're growing and we're we're trying to build out a bigger a bigger organization or department, but our particular one is actually really small compared to a lot of other schools. I there right now there are only two, like one other full time version of my position and one part time. But we just hired another full time. So right now, like next month, there will be three full time and one part time. Wow! And who's I guess do you not have anybody? above you that works with you like your boss or yeah so it's kind of interesting so we so in my so in this department in this organization it's called dsu online there's a director and he kind of like you know um talks to the deans and the faculty and goes to a lot of meetings and, and kind of organizes things for our department gets things set up for us and then there's an assistant director who works directly a lot with the deans in particular and working things out with them and the faculty. And, and he's kind of the guy who sets up projects. He's the person that gets course projects set up for us. And then we, we had, and we will have again soon, we're going to hire another, but uh, uh, a project manager who kind of oversees all of the courses and keeps track of them in a project management software and make sure that we're on, you know, we're on track with everything and that everything's looking good and it's passing all the appropriate approvals approvals, and uh, is being reviewed and everything. So there's a project manager and then there's the three designers. And then we also have a team of students that helps us do a lot of like the, uh, you know, the entering uh, content into the course or, you know, making accessibility checks on everything and making sure everything's run smoothly. And so... I don't know if that makes sense, the organization yeah. I just described, but yeah, so that's pretty pretty small. You I mean, you basically yeah. have your hand in every department in the university and you are more or less solely responsible for all of the online courses that are popping up at Dixie City Dixie State, I assume. Yeah, and, and we're yeah, that's one of the reasons why we're trying to hire some more people. But there there I, I guess I missed there there's like an an executive assistant and there's a marketing person that we have on our team and then a couple of people that are involved in like developing online programs and ad, admissions for online programs. So it is small and um we're 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 growing and we're trying to grow even more. But um it's just been interesting to 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 try to make online courses more prominent in, at our university. It's kind of not been a focus in the past at, at Dixie State University. It's kind of known for its, you know, uh, social scene and, and uh, you know, outdoors type stuff, but not as much for its online presence. So <laughs> that's something that we're trying to get on the map a little bit. Well, I'm sure that's, you know, most universities have had to up their, pretty much every university, every yeah. school, even, even you know, elementary schools and high schools and middle schools have had to up their online presence in the last year. And it's taken a lot, of, a lot of people like you to make that happen. I mean, it might sound easy to just throw your slides up in PowerPoint, but there's a lot more to it than that um, yeah. Yeah, to make an, an actual course happen. And you need some sort of management software and somehow you've got to be able to take tests and quizzes and labs and grading. I mean, there's, there's yes. a lot more than, you know, putting a lecture online uh, right. as yeah, we, as, as normal folks might think of it. Uh, so, all right, well, that's really neat. And that's a good, I think that's a good stopping point for like all the, 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 the logistics of your job. I'd like yeah. to hear just, just briefly about, you know, how you spend your time. I assume you work, you know, yeah. roughly eight hours a day. What does that actually look like for you? Yeah. So a lot of it is communicating with faculty, especially this year, since we've been developing so many courses at once with this kind of, um, we call it the course design Institute where we're kind of guiding faculty and developing these online courses. So a lot of my time lately has been spent with emailing them, uh, meeting with them via zoom, going to their offices 
and just saying, how can I help you to make this, you know, vision of your online course a reality and, and giving them feedback and saying, Hey, I don't think students are going to understand this or you're missing this part that you might be used to in your face to face course having, but that your students are going to be lost about because you're in an online environment where you can't answer their questions real time, you know? So a lot of my time is spent communicating with faculty, either reviewing their course and giving them some feedback on it or emailing them, um, them emailing me and say, Hey, I'm not sure how to make this part of my online course work. And I go in there and, and help them figure it out. And then maybe enlist the help of the online or the, the student text to help me, you know, make it work in canvas. We, we use canvas, the learning management okay. system yeah. we use is called canvas. So we, um, we help them to make their courses work well in canvas. And okay. uh, so a lot of my time is just spent communicating in email phone calls, meeting in their offices or uh, Zoom meetings. If you, were so to assign, if you were to assign a percentage of time that goes towards just communicating back and forth with professors, is it like 50 or 60 or like 70, 80 or 30? Um, I'd say, oh, it's hard to say, but I'd say probably 50, 50% of my time. Maybe. Okay. And then the other 50% is pretty much just working on the technical side of things, I assume. Um, well, so yeah, like I said, maybe 10 to 20% of the time I'm reviewing courses, especially right now, because we have so many courses I'm having to kind of, we have online standards that we've established and I'm giving them feedback based on those standards to make sure that we have, you know, kind of a standard, a a common standard on our online courses though, so that some aren't like, you know, really poor quality. And then somewhere, you know, off the charts, we try to, we try to make them meet a certain minimum standard, you know? as much as we can. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time doing that. And I also spend some time developing, you know, tools or resources for online courses. Like, for example, there was an art course that I worked on with a a great artist who teaches at our school. And um, he had been in his in in face to face class, you know, they they do their artwork in class a lot, and they like, turn in their artwork. But uh, I was concerned, and he was concerned that in an online format, they would just, you know, use somebody else's work and turn it in or whatever, or, or he, he, he would go around a lot and, and see what they were drawing and, and give them feedback in the class. And he was like, I'm not gonna be able to do that. And so we decided to have them submit time lapses of their, of their drawings. And it was a drawing course. And uh. so he could give them feedback and say, Hey, you're kind of using the wrong technique here, or you know what I mean? And so that way he doesn't have to watch, you know, like an hour long video or whatever of them making their drawing, but he could kind of, see the general approach and give them feedback. And then they would have a video of how they created the thing that they had made too. So it was kind of a unique solution, but I, I spend some time trying to come up with solutions like that to problems. And I enjoy that part of it too, because it's different every time, you know, what the course requires. Yeah, that is cool. That's really neat. So you probably feel a little bit out of your comfort zone a lot of the time with these with these courses that you're so unfamiliar with. Uh, I was thinking before we, you know, before we really got into the depths of this, that you would have been just a, you know, inside of an engineering department, like an engineering course designer or something, but you're doing, you're doing everything. Yeah. Does that, does that yeah. feel intimidating or have you kind of gotten used to it at this point? Um, it is at times intimidating, but I honestly really enjoy it because like I said, I, I enjoy a variety of things and I enjoy learning new things. And so I love learning about different things all the time. And the way we have it structured right now, I am kind of, uh, I'm, I'm a support person for three different schools. Um, I, I support the, the School of Humanities, the School of Business, or I guess they call them colleges, College of Business, uh, College of uh, Humanities and the College of Science, Engineering, and Technology, and so those are those are the main types of courses I deal with right now. But um, so I do get to do some you know science and engineering technology courses, which I love. But um, I honestly I, I don't try to become the expert in those things because that's why we are work with that's why we work with the faculty member and that's why they're the subject matter expert because. They've spent more time in that than I have. And I, I'm not going to come out of that course creation having become an expert in that field, or I probably won't even know as much as the students from that course, you know. But sure. But 
but I, uh, I do enjoy learning a little bit here and there from the different courses. And I, I just defer to the expert who is the, the instructor or the faculty member on, on most things. Yeah. But just so I, I'm the expert on instructional design, online ins instruction. And so I can give them my ideas for how they might teach the certain things or have students apply it. But, um, I'll, I'll often say, Hey, this is an idea. What do you think? You're the expert. And they'll, they'll either say that that's not going to work for this, this field or they'll say, yeah, I think that could really work really well, you know? So they're the ultimate expert as far as the field goes, but I'm, I'm the expert as far as online instruction goes. So we kind of collaborate and just put forth our expertise and it usually ends up becoming something better than either one of us could have created alone, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So how long does it take you to create a course? If, if you're able to quantify that maybe in hours or weeks or, you know, how many, uh, yeah. Do you, do you go full time for seven days on, a course or are you always kind of hopping around and bouncing between courses for weeks at a time? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. It varies depending on the course and depending on the faculty member, depending on how much they have time they have to put into it, you know? Um, but it can, it's never less than like six weeks and it's never, and it can be as long as, you know, a year. So it, it can be, it can be a, a pretty broad range of time depending on how much they're trying to change about the course. Like, is it designing a course? Like, is this the first time this course has ever been taught and it just so happens to be online or is it adapting their face-to-face -face course to be online? Or is this like a completely new way of teaching online that we're spending a lot of time on? So it just depends, but it can be anywhere from six weeks to a year. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's what I would expect. Um, in a given day, how many different projects are you working on? And I assume it varies widely, but do you ever just spend all day on one particular course that you're designing or are you generally working on four a day? Yeah. I mean, it's honestly just kind of needs based, right? So if, if a course is going to be starting next semester and we have all these things that we need to put into it before then, then I'm going to be on that course probably all day. Oh, but if it's like, um, like right now where we have a bunch of courses going on right now, I'm kind of looking into uh, ways of teaching things for a certain course maybe that the professor has asked for feedback on or I, I, I think could use a little more help or whatever, you know. So honestly, faculty members are, I, I love the faculty I work with at Dixie State um, and, they, and they have a variety of skill levels with online design and they have a variety of interest levels in online design. So... So a lot of that determines how long something takes and how, how much time I spend it on as well. But, I mean, there are priorities based on how soon something is needed usually, you know, how, how quickly does it need to become ready for students. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay, hold on. I'm going to take a little break here. I don't know where I want to go with this now. Uh, this is <laughs> good. This is super interesting. I actually really like this. This is okay. like this is something I could see myself doing. Um, yeah, actually. It's, it's actually it's, been really fun. It's it's uh it's unique. I've never really thought about this too much, but with COVID and everything, like I I should have thought about it. It's it's definitely a real thing. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, so. Where should we go I guess from I here? Is there, is there more you want to say about what you do in your job day to day? Or um, Yeah, I guess I should talk more about like the technologies I use because I do use a variety of those a little bit here and there. Okay. And All I right. don't really talk about the virtual reality stuff I do, but it's up to you if you want to hear more about that or not. It doesn't matter to me. Okay. Um... Time constraint too could be a thing for you. It doesn't. Well, bother me. I mean, it's not a constraint. It's just, uh, you know, I like to keep them definitely under an hour. Sometimes they've gone over and it just feels too long. But yeah, yeah. Um, but this is all really good content. This is this is good stuff. So, um, uh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. Here we go. So, you know, obviously you're working on online courses all day, every day. Tell me a little bit about the, the technology that goes into that. You say you use Canvas, which is a which is a platform I'm familiar with, but but I guess how do you actually do all the design and the, the technical side of things, uh, you know, for a, for a lay audience, I guess? 
Yeah. So, yeah. So Canvas is a learning management system, which means it, it houses courses, online courses, right? And it, it's kind of like its own web framework um, that has, you know, a certain level of things that you can accomplish with it, right? So you kind of have to work within the constraints of the tool to make things work. So, for example, it doesn't allow CSS or like styling different from Canvas styling. So it has its own kind of styling set that you can work within. So you kind of have to get creative with how you put things on the page, you know, adding a video here, adding a little, you know, pop up here or a, an accordion that kind of unfolds and shows the students some more information. Or how far do you split up things? Do you put everything on one page and then just make sections that they have to go to? Or do you put a little bit on one page and then make them go through a bunch of pages? So there's a lot of user experience design that goes into it as well. But we use Canvas. We, we use some uh, like Adobe Illustrator, um, a little bit of Photoshop every now and then to you know add some graphical assets uh, to it. Um, we, we, we have tools like Adobe Captivate, which does kind of your, your famous work training that does the slide-by-slide -slide interactive slides type thing that quiz you after a few things. Um, and and I, I talked about, I, I use virtual reality. So I use the Oculus Quest headsets to develop labs for certain courses on campus. And that's been honestly one of my favorite things about my job. I was I asked them if, if it was possible that I could start working on something like that. I applied for a grant, got grant money. And I love working. I actually, part of the grant hired a, a computer science student at DSU that helps me work on these virtual reality labs. And it's just been a blast to work with that. So oh man, it, basically we use the technology that's needed for the course. And that can be different. There are a yeah. million educational technologies out there. But honestly, Google Suite we use a lot because people are familiar with it and you can use it in a variety of ways. And everyone has you know a Google account. So... We use those a lot in interesting ways, but anyway, okay. that's a little bit about the technology. <laughs> you you kind of got me hooked when you mentioned the the you know using the Oculus, the virtual reality, because I'm a geologist, right? And geology is is it's a hard science, but it's also a descriptive soft science. Um, yeah, you, you've got to see it, you've got to touch it, feel it, understand it. You've got to make a story out of what you're seeing and what you're um you know touching and so it's very hard to do geology in an online setting and i know that because uh well i i've you know been in the space of geology and in the instructional space as well and so i could just envision having like a geology 101 course right where you have some labs and all you know you have a lab for sedimentary rocks and a lab for igneous rocks and a lab for metamorphic rocks where you have to go identify them and touch them and describe them i could just envision this weird wacky system of putting on a vr headset and walking around and <laughs> looking at the rocks i don't i, I don't know much yeah, about i mean i VR. envision that too i think it would be really great for geology i i i've been thinking about applications for this type of thing since I was in my mechanical engineering degree and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do stuff like that but I honestly think it could be applied to a million different things but especially things like that that are physical sciences you know things that are so spatially oriented um, and visually oriented I, th I think is it's just it, ma it makes a lot of sense to me to try to develop things that that's so really that, you know, curious it, when you can't go to the actual site and and experience it in person that you can have a similar learning experience in a virtual, in a virtual space, you know. Wow. So, so would that require? I guess this grant that you applied for. I know we're sidetracking here, but this is interesting. You're good. Um, this grant that you applied for would that give like the course, you know, thirty or forty Oculus sets to give to the students to use during the semester? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So. Right now, I just have two that I'm developing things on. But when I got here, I, tr I searched and searched everywhere. And I was like, do we have any VR headsets anywhere on campus? And everyone was like, no, we don't. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start this up. So I did. And then I kind of reached out to another person. And they had had thoughts about using virtual reality in the health sciences, particularly with helping the elderly, you know, that are lonely in their um kind of senior living centers and being able to kind of communicate and interact with them in a virtual space. And so they 
they, you know, got a grant as well and bought a bunch of headsets and are trying to develop ways for, you know, elderly people to be able to interact with people via VR in their, and in their health sciences, you know, education and work. So, and, and I, I think it could be that way. I think it could be, you could have it in, you know, an in-person class where everyone gets a headset or, or there's a, you know, part of the class where you do some simulations in the headset. But I also think that, and this is one of the reasons that I asked, you know, my leadership of my team to look into it is that if you were in an online program, for example, with something like chemistry, you could have, you know, a lot of of training in the virtual space instead of like a lab on campus. If you were an online student, you could still have labs, but have them be VR labs, you know. So that was one of my interests is being able to still have online courses, have these hands-on labs that you are used to in science in particular, but other courses as well. Oh, that's... That's so fascinating. That's awesome. I hope I hope it works out for you, and I hope you're. Yeah, it, it sounds that. cool, but it's it's a lot of work and it's slow going. So oh, that, that uh, definitely. We'll, we'll see like how much it actually takes catch, yeah. catches on. But <laughs> all right. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, all right. Um, so let's uh, let's take a step back now. I think I learned you know enough details about your job, and uh, personally, I find it very very interesting. Uh, I could I can see how you enjoy your job. I mean, it's it's a constant learning, and that's you know that's what I like about it. I, I like that you're always learning, and you're you know you're in different subjects, and so your breadth is expanding every time you take on a new course to develop. And so that, that it's, it's very fun, good to hear. And I'm, I'm glad you're happy and enjoying the space that you're in. So yeah, yeah, it's been fun. So where do you picture yourself maybe in five or 10 years from now? And what do you want to do with the future of your career? It's a good question. Um, I really don't know. I'm enjoying what I do right now. I would love to do some more of this kind of engineering education hybrid where I'm developing a virtual space for for technical content. And um, right now I'm able to do that in my current position. So it's, and I'm still able to, you know, develop online courses and develop relationships with faculty members. So I, I'm a people person. And so I enjoy the part of my job where I interact with faculty, but I'm also a tech person. So I enjoy the part of my job where I work with with virtual reality. So honestly, in 10 years, I, I don't know what it would look like, but I, I hope that I, I've i inspired some other people with this vision that I have of, you know, creating a virtual space for these, you know, technical subjects. But um, maybe I'll be doing the same thing I'm doing. I really don't know. Um, and I, I enjoy, like I said, I'm a people person, so I don't know. I would enjoy... Being in a management position too, would, I think, would be fun. Um, I would still want to be able to do some of the, you know, design and development stuff myself. So, honestly, to answer your question, I have no idea, but I hope it involves some more of this virtual reality or augmented reality work. And I'm still in education and, and researching and looking into ways to educate better and developing relationships with people. Awesome. Well, you know, sometimes if, if you enjoy what you're doing, you just got to cover your eyes and keep walking forward. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. you need a plan. Sometimes you need a plan, but sometimes it's, you know, you just, you just got to have faith and move forward with what's working and that's you yeah. right now. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, so you have some, you have a lot of experience, you know, at a university and you've been a student at universities for a while and, and so maybe to to the listener out there, what would be some of your advice for for people you know interested in academics and in in university life and maybe working for a university? Just just give us a little bit of advice on on maybe a student out there that's interested and in, and in, has enjoyed listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um I I honestly I'm kind of going off of what you said earlier, Michael, I think that having a goal or having a, a vision of anything is the first step, right? Don't get caught in worrying if you're going to choose the right thing that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life or, um, or, or worrying if the academic route is going to be right for you 
just choose one of them. And if you think you might be interested in, you know, teaching or academia or higher education or even, you know, secondary education or primary education, like if, if that's something that's interesting to you, I say pursue it. And then if you say, okay, I tried teaching fifth graders and I'm thinking now that I might enjoy more teaching adults, then yeah, a lot of my coworkers that I work with, the designers started in as middle school teachers or, or elementary school teachers. And then they decided they wanted to work in higher higher education and be more on the design side than the delivery side. And so, and I, I, I applaud them for that. I think that's awesome. So I just would say, choose something that you feel passionate about, that you feel like you have something to contribute to, some experience or some passion or some ideas to contribute to, and then pursue that until, until you find something else or until that path takes you somewhere else, leads you somewhere else. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I like that advice. Um, all right. Well, if, if there's a listener out there who really enjoyed this as I did, and they'd like to talk to you more about your experiences and maybe get in contact and network with you, what would be a good way for that person to reach out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I can leave my email or phone number with you, but um, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, I check that every now and again and, I respond to messages or whatever, so that works too. But yeah, I'm I'm always happy. I've talked to friends about my job and exchanged things about their job, and um, I'm always happy to talk with people or or uh, get them started if they're interested. All right, I'll I'll post uh, you know the website link to your to your LinkedIn account so they can message you directly um, if they feel so inclined. So. All right, okay. Jordan. Well, I appreciate the time. This has been super instructive, super uh, exciting for me. Um, and thank you for sharing what you do um, as a instructional designer. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great to, to catch back up with you and talk. All right. Take care, Jordan. See you, Michael. Hey, um, before you actually go, <laughs> I, I really I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, I I kind of say this, every episode but they just keep getting better they're all my favorites you know every time i interview somebody yeah. it just i don't know i just have a lot of fun with it i guess um yeah i think it's good. awesome that you even have the you know the initiative and you've been active about this enough to just go for it and make a podcast it's, I, I respect that it's so cool well i really stink at marketing and i'm not a social media guy i know i've been a little more active on linkedin recently but overall i i'm not i'm not good at that um, so I haven't I done a good job. Great. I mean, I haven't like marketed my podcast very well. Most of my episodes have like between 10 and 40 downloads. So it's not like I'm growing in popularity or whatever. I just don't know how to do that. And I don't want to hire somebody to do that for me or anything like that. I, I don't know. It's just a little bit out of my comfort zone, but yeah, but I feel like the content has gotten better. I've gotten better at asking questions and I feel like, uh, it, yeah, these, these, these have just been so much fun for me. And so I, I, I keep doing it because I keep having fun and I feel like I get inspired and I learn a little bit with every episode. Oh yeah. And this was no exception to that. That's way cool. I think it's awesome. So anyway, give me maybe a week or so to, to put this all together. Oh, if you want to, you know, send me, a picture of yourself or something, you know, with each podcast okay. episode, it has like a little, you know, a little graphic. And if, you know, yeah. I can pick a random graphic or if you want to send me a, a picture or, a you know, a Dixie state logo or something or whatever you want, if there's anything in particular that you want, I can add that in. Um, okay. But anyway, yeah, I'll try to get this up within maybe a week or so. Um, and I'll let you know and you can share it if you'd like and whatnot. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for letting me do it with you. It's been fun. Yeah, this was fun. Let, let me know if you're ever back in Utah or even in St. George. You're welcome to stop here if you're going on a long drive somewhere too. Uh, oh, you know, that would be fun. Uh, St. George, <laughs> you know, I as a geologist, I went down to St. George and Hurricane and, you know, I've been to Sand Hollow over there and, you know, been on a lot of the Canaraville Falls up in Cedar yeah. Cedar City area, or I guess it's between Cedar City and St. George. And anyway, it's it's a really neat area, a really fun area. Been to Snow, what is that place called? Snow uh, 
Snow College or no, what are you talking about? No, there's a state park on the back side of St. George, uh, the west side. Oh, Snow yeah. Canyon. Snow Canyon, is that what it is? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, there's some lava tubes out there. Anyway, yeah, I love the area. It's a sweet area and lots of cool stuff out there. And I guess it's where you grew up, so you're very familiar with it all. Yeah, I love it, but I do feel guilty about not going in and out and exploring more of it, so I'll have to do some more of that. <laughs> well, that's hard with kids. But, but yeah, if we ever <laughs> take true. a road trip, uh, I'd love to take a road trip. But uh, I only get 10 days off at my job, so it's hard to like, mm. you know, just make – life happened with 10 vacation days but yeah that's true that's uh, true well I, I wish you the best and let me know how things go i'll be following your podcast and keeping up with you on linkedin but i hope things go well for you yeah i appreciate it jordan thanks for chatting i'll uh we'll stay in touch okay good night all right good night <laughs> See ya. bye